Get to the church blind! Get to the church blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. Have you ever had to prep a sermon and you just looked at your bookshelf and you didn't have enough of what you needed? Well, you don't have to do that. Go to Logos.com. Logos Bible Software has everything that you need at pretty much at your fingertips because you're literally typing stuff in and with the click of a mouse button, you can open the entire C.H. Spurgeon Library. You can look up original languages, word studies. I mean, this thing is like the Lollapalooza of church planning information. You can have a little mini concert in your sermon prep right there. All the greats kind of gathered around and picking their brains and putting them into your sermon. And you want to check out LogosBibleSoftware.com. They'll actually make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, Church Planner, this is Peyton Jones. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planning. I am your host, and my guest today is David Elsog, also known as Soggy. Uh, David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, well, um, I live out here in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, I have a wife, just one, uh, and three daughters, uh, and their age is 22, uh, 15, and 7. And uh, we live out here uh, doing ministry uh, in Utah. We moved here about 12 years ago. And uh, now I lead a group called Loving Utah, which is a church planting network that's multi-denominational and reaches out to church planters, pastors, and leaders all across the state of Utah. Nice, man. That is so freaking rock and roll. I love it. So uh, tell me a little bit about, first off, how did you come to faith? Yeah, well, my uh, that goes back to before I was born, but my parents... Uh, found Christ about a year before I was born. They went to uh, a crusade, a gospel crusade, and they heard the gospel really for the first time. Uh, they accepted Christ and, and gave their lives to Christ, as well as my uh, four siblings did that. Um, I came along a year later and uh, and uh, grew up going to church, um, but really didn't make a decision for Christ until I was about 15. So I went to Sunday school. I did all that. I went to church, um, went to church a lot, mm. um, you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we were that kind of church. And, and I heard a lot and I really knew my Bible well, but I wasn't real. I wasn't living an obedient life to Christ. When I was 15, uh, just went to a youth rally with a bunch of churches, heard a message and just really felt God speaking to my heart saying, it's, it's your choice. You can serve the devil or you can serve me. And um, I made the choice that day. I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve you, Jesus. Um, and that's how I came to faith. And from there, just felt the call to ministry, and ended up going off to Bible college and and studying and and really pursuing uh, full time ministry. That's cool. So tell me the story of um, loving Utah. How did that come to be? Yeah. Well, it, it kind of starts back. 
uh, in Detroit, um, a, a church called Kensington Church had a real heart for church planting, and I always was reaching out to church planters in Michigan. And um, they, one of their pastors, Dave Nelson, uh, was on their teaching staff, and somebody approached him about, hey, would you consider planting a church in Utah? They really need a church in Utah there. And so um, he prayed about it. Uh, they announced it to the church, and 30 adults plus uh, their kids made a decision to move across the country and start a brand new church called K2 The Church. And uh, to me, the church is a miracle because um, Salt Lake is probably one of the hardest places to reach people. And uh, they spent a year just kind of gathering people and and sharing uh, their vision and their mission um, to plant multiplying churches up and down the Wasatch Front here in Utah. And... uh, they opened their doors, and the first Sunday they had 612 people show up at launch, which was insane. Um, but they also adopted this real heart and passion towards uh, planting churches and planting multiplying churches. So because of that, um, I joined the staff uh, about 18 months into the church, and I came on because I had a heart uh, and a passion for church planters, having been a church planter previously in Denver and just feeling that call and just seeing um, church planters in Utah struggling, I wanted to help them and, and come alongside of them. So about six years ago, um, my pastor, Dave Nelson, and myself, and we gathered four other guys and we met in an IHOP. And uh, we said, man, we're seeing these church planters struggle. They're coming into Utah. They're, uh, some of them are crashing and burning. Uh, it's not really a healthy thing. And, um, and so we wanted to say, we're going to put a stop to this. We're going to do whatever it takes um, to invite people into relationships, planters into relationships with us. And uh, that's the day that uh, Loving Utah was birthed. And so uh, sit, sit, just sitting around breakfast, having, having that conversation. And from there, uh, we just started gathering people uh, twice a year. Uh, we called it a Loving Utah Summit. Started gathering them twice a year to uh, encourage them, uh, to teach them about the uniqueness of ministry in Utah, uh, and to just be praying with them and and mentoring them. And then we would, throughout the year, uh, our team, our Loving Utah team, would uh, meet with them for coffee. We would take them out, uh, encourage them, come alongside of them, and really start helping them uh, move from survival to thriving. And so we've been doing that for the last six years. And in the, on July 1st this year, 2018, uh, I went full-time uh, leading the Loving Utah movement uh, in order to give me time and space to spend with church planters, develop strategies for how we can multiply churches, uh, uh, create some training, and do some leadership development with, with pastors and leaders, and raise up uh, the next generation of church planters here in Utah. That's very cool, man. So what, what are some of the, the unique um, problems? Because everybody automatically says Mormons, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's the number one thing that I think pops into mind when people think, man, what, what would make Utah challenging for a church planner? Um, what, what in your experience is the toughest thing about planting in Utah? Yeah, for sure. Uh, what, 
couple of things that are just a real lack of resources um, and a lot, human resources, financial resources for one. The other thing is that only 3% of the population even attends a gospel preaching church. So there's not a lot of people. And, uh, and so it's hard to really gather even a core team here in Utah. Another barrier that we saw repeated over and over again that we've actually uh, challenged with some groups was that groups were sending church planters to Utah without really understanding that it is a mission field. So uh, here, here they were treating Utah as a place that was just like another state in the United States. So planting, like planting a church in Texas, planting a church in Minnesota, planting a church in California, planting a church in Utah, it's all the same. And I would really compare our mission field uh, more to uh, if you were going to send a church, an American church planter to Japan or to Libya or to Russia, it would be a total different culture uh, that they would have to uh, learn, understand, understand the language. So that was a huge barrier to church planters. And the other thing is that uh, these denominations and sending agencies, because they treated it like just another state, um, they resourced it like another state. They had expectations of, of growth uh, as they did in other states. And it just took church planters longer. Um, it takes more years to get a a congregation really established here in Utah. And so, um, you know, planters would run out of resources. They'd run out of vision. They'd run out of human resources and they would just crash and burn. So this is one of the things that we've been actually trying to reach out to denominations and leaders uh, and really educate them as to this is a mission field. And there's a lot of opportunities uh, for you to learn about what the mission field looks like. And yes, um, the majority of people in Utah uh, identify as as LDS. So that would probably be seventy percent of people who are active mm. uh, in Utah right. in the in the LDS Church. And then on top of that, that I mean that is a dominating force in a culture. So I mean, all our politicians, all of our leaders, all of our teachers, uh, all of our police, everyone comes from an LDS, most of them come from an LDS culture. So the LDS so, really has kind of like a power base. So I would imagine when you're going to go rent the local schools, a church, that's a no can do, right? That's right. Um, in fact, ch- schools are pretty much off limits to churches. Wow. Um, so it re- that that's another barrier. So uh, the barrier is like here in, here in Salt Lake in this area, trying to rent a, a school has happened, but it usually is short-lived or you just get a no every time. And uh, and finding property is really expensive. Um, and also, you know, there we found discrimination in, in people who are renting spaces like storefronts and other spaces where uh, they did not want to rent to a Christian church because, you know, that would be against what they would believe. So we, we've seen that as well. Um, but also we've seen Sometimes we have very friendly uh, LDS landlords who who don't really care and will rent to us. So um, 
finding finding actual meeting space is pretty tough, and it has been one of the top barriers for, for church planters coming. So I know uh, a church planter in Utah who opened a collaborative working space, um, yes. and he's doing very well there, and a church meets in there. But the yep. actual business is just a collaborative workspace, and he's he's really killing it in business and in church. So that's been one creative way. What have been some other things that, that your church planners have had to do to try to break into the Mormon culture there to get the gospel to people that are really stuck in a cult? Yeah. Well, uh, some of the ways that we're learning, and and we are, I feel like, it's taken us a long time to actually learn strategies towards reaching the LDS. Um, one of the things that we've learned that doesn't work real, is, real quick, Soggy, just yeah, for those yeah. of you that don't know listening, um, LDS is an abbreviation for what the church likes to call themselves, which is Latter-day Saints. So they, right. they, they, they that, that is their preferred. You'll see the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's how they self-identify. How yeah, is that for a political that, term? A, yes. And, uh, yeah, and people refer to them as Mormons or whatever. They prefer to be called members of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Right. So, um, but we call them LDS. Um, they call themselves LDS, so that's that's kind of a way to refer to them. Um, wonderful people. Um, but uh, I'm sorry, can you remember? Oh, sorry, man, I interrupted you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I do this all the time, so I, I have d- tangential thought, and it's hard to derail me, but... Um, okay. yeah. So my question was, what were some of the strategies that yes. you've had breaking into LDS culture? Yeah. So um, strategies that haven't worked, if you start there, is, is arguing and saying, you know, we're right, you're, you're wrong. Cult. Yeah. That, that you're doesn't go cult. down well. We don't actually use that word cult. We use the yeah. word culture um, because it is their religion. So, sure. I mean, uh, you know, it is their faith. It is their whole community. So to start off with any type of language that's argumentative uh, or demeaning to them uh, is not a good place to start. And that's not a good place to start with any person. On no, the it's not. And, and here's, here's an interesting thing as well. Um, you, you probably know Walter Merton um, yeah. or have come across his stuff. Sure. Um, Walter Merton, for those of you that don't know, was the uh, pioneer in counter-cult ministry uh, in mainstream Christianity. Um, during particularly the 80s, 70s, and 80s. He came to prominence after the Jonestown Massacre, and he used to go to Salt Lake City, and they would, you know, he would get death threats, and he would have open debates. But one of the things he would always coach people in talking to Mormons was to not make the Mormon church the enemy. He said, you have to realize that there are love lines here, and there's family, and there's friends, and there's an amazing community within the Mormon church. Like if you get baptized in the Mormon church for the rest of your life, whether you go there or not, you will get calls. I don't know if it's monthly soggy or if it's a few times a year, but they will call you and they will say, how are you? Do you need anything? Do you need financial help? They will look after you. There is an amazing community. And that is the thing that, that we're up against in some ways is we have the truth, but they have this community, 
And so he says, if you want to alienate a Mormon or a JW, you talk about the Jehovah's Witnesses, who are the most dedicated people they know, religiously speaking, that go door to door every weekend and spend their free time getting the gospel out. He says, you do not speak against the people ever. He says, what you do is for a, for a Jehovah's Witness, you speak about the Watchtower organization. And for Mormons, you talk about Joseph Smith. You, you want to draw a distance between the people and the actual propaganda. And you have to be very careful in how you talk about things. Yes. And really, it, it comes down to really compassion and, and respect. You know, if, if, if you truly believe that a, a person in the Mormon church is lost without the gospel, um, you want to start by treating them as a friend, as a, as a, res- mm. you know, with respect, um, as you would anyone else. And, um, and so a couple ways, a couple testimonies, and this is really fascinating to me, Peyton, is um, a couple testimonies that we've been hearing recurring in multiple churches from different pastors and from different people who have left the LDS church and found Christ. And these are very fascinating. And um, these are things that we're in this in this next year going to be diving into as far as how are we going to create a strategy to help people. So one uh, one group of people, um, they their their testimony is this: I left the LDS Church a long time ago physically. I just left. I was a teenager, as a young adult, whatever, and I just went to wild living. You know, I, I got into addiction, bad relationships. I, I crash and burned my life. Hmm. And um, I was at the bottom. And my friend told me, hey, you should come to church with me. You know, um, somebody shared Jesus with them. And so uh, they're saying that's that's how I found Jesus. The other interesting group is um, a group that testimony is this, is that I left the LDS church in my heart a long time ago, but I kept staying active in the church. So in my heart, I did not believe it was true. Um, and what I did was then I would get online and I'd start Googling and I'd do that in private because I can do that in private. I can, I can research the LDS church. I can research what people are saying about it. Uh, I can listen to podcasts. I can see these, see comparisons and I can discover you know, that, that this is wrong, whatever. So, so they start by just leaving in their heart. Then they start, then they start doing research. And then their testimony is that I started reading the new Testament and I started discovering a different Jesus than the one I was taught in my church. Mm. And so the new Testament drew me towards Jesus. And then I got up enough courage to find a Christian church in my, in my community that I could go to. And I overcame a lot of fear, but I walked in the door and I found people who loved Jesus and led me to Jesus. Now, this is a 10 to 12 year process. Hmm. Imagine 10 to 12 year process where they are actually not sharing their doubts with their right. spouse, right. with their bishop, with their neighbor, with their family, until one day they just say, I've had enough, and they leave. Um, and that, those are the two testimonies that we're hearing from, from the LDS, which uh, can educate us into our strategy towards actually engaging with them. So some guys, some of our church planners are, 
are starting websites that are, um, one is called uh, God Loves Mormons. And he spends every Thursday night down at Temple Square, which is the, in the middle of downtown Salt Lake City. It's a big tourist attraction, but it's also the main Salt Lake Temple. And, uh, he, and it's also right in the middle of downtown. So he talks to people on the street, and he's done over a 1,000 interviews of people on the street. Wow. And he's just asking questions um, to understand their language, um, understand what causes them to be confused about Christianity and, and the LDS Church. Or, or what what are their stumbling blocks to hearing the gospel? Then he's creating these video. He's creating a video platform called God Loves Utah or God Loves Mormons dot com, and people can go there. And he's answering the questions with the gospel and with God's word. And so, um, hmm. engaging people online where they can be anonymous is is a strategy that we're going to be pursuing in these next few years. Um, I've so really let me, let me just yeah. pause for a second because I think yeah. first off you you just hit on something that's solid gold and genius. So if your evangelism strategy was as in the case of this guy to ask questions and listen, gosh, he'd he'd be a lot like kind of what Jesus did, who asked three hundred and eight questions during his earthly ministry was asked a hundred and. I think it was 60 something and only answered three directly. Um, you see the importance of question asking for Jesus. Yes. So the fact that, that he's doing that, um, and people are willing to talk, like they're not being talked at. They're, they, they may not listen to preaching, but they're willing yeah. to answer questions about what they believe. I love that first off. Yeah. Second off, there's no immediate punch in the face that comes back at them, but he can tell them, I'm going to answer some of these. Um, questions as well um, on, you know, um, such and such. I'm going to respond to these on this website. Go check it out. Having a card to give them at the end is huge. Like, I, I've never thought about doing it like that. That's actually, and especially like you said, that anonymity, that's what they're finding in countries like, you know, uh, countries that are Muslim countries, um, that, that media has become a massive inroads for people to watch the gospel messages that they couldn't hear preach in their own countries. That's, that's powerful, man. Yeah. So, um, that's, that's pretty amazing. So if a church planner is listening right now and is thinking, man, I really have a, um, heart for Mormons. I think I'm going to go to Utah because I'm a glutton for punishment. I want to go into the belly of the beast. One of the hardest places to plant in America. Um, what what are they going to expect? I mean, just kind of paint a picture for me of, of what it looks like to be a church planner in Utah. Yes, that's a great question. Well, the first thing is, if we find if we find out you're coming, you're going to get invited into a community of other church planters, which I think is one of the most awesome things that Loving Utah does. And we have a wide network of, of people from multiple denominations and, and communities that just will put their arms around them and walk with them. But uh, as far as coming here, you better be ready uh, for spiritual warfare when you come here. Hmm. This place is by far, I, I, I have never felt it like I've felt it here in Utah. And um, I know because the enemy is, has lied, has, has created an entire culture and, and religion around a lie. Hmm. And so he 
he does not want uh, he does not want the gospel to be spread here. He does not want the truth to be told here. He does not want people to come out of religious bondage at all. And he'll put take them out of religious bondage and put them into a different bondage of of addiction or or anything else. So by coming here, the the first thing you're going to have to know is, um, you know, it is it is a culture that is really controlled by the LDS culture, which, you know, that's seems normal to me now that I'm here. Um, the other thing is that uh, we found with church planters that it depends upon where they move. Um, you know, it, you can li- live in a neighborhood where your LDS neighbors will love you and enjoy being a part of, you know, your life and, and uh, be very accepting. And you can move into another neighborhood uh, where your kids won't be allowed to play with their neighbor kids, right. you know? And so, um, you know, we've had when planters come and they ask these type of questions, like, well, what do you, what can we expect from our, from our neighborhoods? And we say, well, it could be this or that, but um, just know it's going to be hard on, on your kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's a hard place, not just for the planter, you know, to gain traction and build a congregation and, and see people come with the gospel. But so a lot of times the, the family members will pay the price as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter, who is one of the most amazing uh, kids in the world, loves everybody um, and everybody loves her. But when uh, she had a group of friends from sixth grade uh, and up into the into middle school and high school, uh, they were all her friends. They were all LDS. But when they hit 10th grade, um, these girls started to go to what the LDS church calls seminary. So their seminary is 10th, 11th, and 12th grade. They are released from high school to take a class, a religious class. Um, and so these, once these girls started taking, uh, seminary, they started, uh, basically ignoring my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so as my daughter only knew one other Christian in her entire high school. And so she, um, she would go to lunch with her friends and sit by them and they wouldn't look at her. They wouldn't talk to her. And her last few years of high school, many, many times she would go to bread crying saying, I don't want to go back there, you know? And, um, but yet she was always a friend to them. Uh, and so, uh, recently, so that was, she graduated a few years ago. She's 22 now. And this summer, two of her friends, um, from high school called her up and said, Hey, can we get together with you? And, uh, she's like, sure. She had no idea what they wanted. They're just hanging out. And, and both of them said, you know, um, we, you know, you used to invite us to youth group and we'd come to youth group when we were in middle school. And both of them said, that was the first time we ever felt loved and accepted anywhere. Really? Like, oh, and then they're like, what do you think it would be okay for us to come? visit your church. And, uh, you know, and she's like, sure. And, 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 uh, one of them said, you know, I got married this summer and we got married in the temple. And when we got married in the temple, it freaked us out so bad. We said, we got to get out of here. We got to leave this church. And so, and so it's like, this is a, this is now talking a 10 year relationship that my daughter's had with these with these ladies. And now they're finally peeling back this doubt and being able to express this doubt. 
Now, what was it about the LDS church temple ceremony that, that actually freaked him out so much? Well, I'm, I'm not really an expert on that, but you know, these, these temple ceremonies and, um, like for weddings, they, they're, I'm, I'm no expert. I've never been to one because I wouldn't be invited into the temple. Uh, but they do different religious ceremonies and, um, they, uh, they're sworn to secrecy about certain things. And what we're finding, um, in a lot of people who are leaving the LDS churches, the more these ceremonies that they experience, the more they, they're actually disturbed in their spirit. Like mm-hmm. this is not, this is not right. right. Um, I've heard that story many, many times is I, I went there, I, I went for the plan of salvation in the temple and this was not right. It just, it was, it was yeah. just wrong. Yeah. yeah. No, so they have this feeling in their spirit. Now you got to understand with compassion that people who have done, who have been, their families have been part of this for six, seven, eight generations. They realize that when they're in these temple ceremonies, that their parents did this and their cousins did this and their grandparents did this and they still stayed with the church. But yet, so that was, that's what makes it even harder for them because their tie is to family and to blood. And, and sometimes they'll just, okay, that was weird, but I'll just, I'll just keep staying part of the church right. uh, to my family and to be in, in my community. So it is a, uh, it is a really hard thing for people to leave the church, even when they do experience this. So, um, so we keep praying for, for my daughter's friends and, and, and keep praying that they actually will take steps of faith towards Jesus and, um, and their lives will be changed. That's rad, man. Well, Hey, so, um, we appreciate the work that you're doing there for the LDS church. Um, one of the things that we ask every, uh, interview, every guest gets this question. Um, the, the, the lineups change, but the question usually goes something like this. If you and Dr. Walter Martin were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Man, I used to watch that guy on John Ankerberg uh, TV show yeah. back in the eighties when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my parents would watch it, and I'd watch it with them. He would definitely beat me in a fist fight for sure. And and I He's didn't want to say that you're a big dude, but uh, uh, he, was, he was from New York, man. He was from uh, wasn't he from the Bronx or something? I don't know, but yeah, um, he seems like a pretty tough guy. He he does seem he's very gutsy, but you know, Soggy, uh, can I call you Soggy, David yeah. Sog? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that he uh, used to pray, and there's a very powerful uh, part of he's one of my heroes. By the way, he's one of my yeah. heroes. I have heroes I can count on one hand. And Dr. Walter Martin would, would surely be on one of those five fingers if they were finger puppets that I wore. Um, and he, he basically, he has a very heartfelt plea that he gives in a series called Martin Under Fire, which includes a Salt Lake City appearance where he debates, um, takes questions from Mormons and, and debates back and forth. But, What's interesting is he, he said, you know, I pray that God raises up a new generation who are willing to take up this fight. And he said, many of the things that you 
have said today. And I want to thank you for that. The um, ministry is called Loving Utah. Where can they find you online? Yeah, so our we have a website called lovingutah.org that's created for our church planters, basically, or for denominations or our, or church planners to maybe scoping out Utah. Um, we also have a website called PrayForUtah.org with the number four. So pray the number four, Utah.org, which is a place where um, you can sign up to be part of our prayer support team. Um, and you'll receive a series of, of emails that will get kind of get you to understand kind of the latest and the greatest of what what is happening in, in the planting world of Utah. Um, you can also find us on Facebook at Loving Utah or at Pray for Utah. And those are the those are the best places to start. Uh, my contact information is on the website. So um, if anyone wants to reach out to me personally, they could do that as well. Okay. Well, my guest today has been David Soggy L. Sog, and the ministry is Loving Utah. And uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Greatly okay. appreciate it. Thank you, Peyton. It was great to meet you uh, recently and great to be on the podcast. Well, guys, this has been Hardcore Church Planning. You've been with us today. want to thank you for coming. Leave us a review. Give us some shout-outs. Share us when you can. And Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. Hey, want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor. They've been with us for years. I know them personally. Uh, the founder is Josh Henry. He is an ex-church planner. If you wonder why we have so much fun with SimplifyChurch.com's uh, ads, it's simply because we love these guys. We believe in them. I have used them. Gosh, as a church planner, I found them and have been using them for donkey's years. And if you don't know, that means a really long time. So head on over to SimplifyChurch.com. They're going to help you do all the stuff that you need to do, but nobody taught you to do in seminary. Things like bookkeeping, uh, payroll, um, you know, uh, dealing with the IRS, making sure you're compliant, sending end of year uh, donor receipts. If you haven't done that yet, tis the season. Uh, you have until the end of January to get those out to your people. So make sure you head on over to SimplifyChurch.com and let them simplify your church. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.